Welcome to the Heal Black Joy podcast presents Soul Food and War. I'm Lola Troy, the host and curator of Heal Black Joy, the learning platform for our community to heal our Black joy with tangible and attainable programs for the mind, body, soul, relationships, and businesses. And in today's conversation, we are talking about move over. I'm driving. And in today's conversation this month, we are celebrating authors in our tribe who have books. So we are starting our Heal Black Joy series. And tonight we're going to be talking about Move Over, I'm Driving a Roadmap for Reclaiming Control Over Your Life. And today my guest is none other than Mr. Damien McGee. Damien is a boundaries coach. He's an author of Move Over, I'm Driving. He travels the country as a motivational speaker and trains men and women on how to establish healthy boundaries for themselves as well as others. He is Heal Black Joy's boundaries expert and he's a three-time guest of our show because he has so much knowledge and we just love to pick his brain. Hey there. Hey, sir. How are you? How are you, my brother? Good, good. Today is an awesome day. We just got, you know, confirmation of... I, I normally dress up, but I got to show you my shirt. And it says, well-behaved when, when women seldom make history. So, <laughs> you know, I normally am like super duper like zhuzhed up. But today was just one of those days that I had to rock my shirt because I am I got this black girl magic energy yes. and mood going on on tonight. So, yes, I think it's a perfect day for that. So It's absolutely. the perfect day for it, right? <laughs> absolutely. Man, listen, you know I like picking your brain. Yes, yes. That's, 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 <laughs> that's, that's an understatement. But let me just say, I've been all through this thing like, dude, <laughs> I got to go through and market again because it is so off the cuff, it's off the beaten path. I always tell you that you have this thought process that is so unconventional, so not like anybody else's. And I love it because you push the envelope every single time. Every single time you always push the envelope. I appreciate that. So I'm so happy to be celebrating you and um, just diving into this book, Move Over, I'm Driving, a roadmap for reclaiming control over your life. This is the book, you guys. I need you to go to Amazon. I'm going to put a link. I'm going to drop a link in our um, chat, and we're going to uh, we're going to uh, make sure that you guys buy this book because this book is crazy awesome. Okay, so Mr. Damien, <laughs> yes, ma'am. What was your inspiration for writing this book? Um, obviously my, my own life, my own story. Um, but, but also just watching people kind of, um, be given roles in their lives instead of playing the role that they were chosen to play or that they choose to play. And so I wanted to just really remind people that, you know, they, they have the power to, to take control of their lives at any given point. And it's just a matter of how do they go about doing that? And then how do they also not fall victim to the things that other people in society is telling them that they have to do so much to the point that those things begin to paralyze them and they can't move forward. 
Yeah. Yeah. And, and and that is so crazy because in our community, we definitely get stuck. Like we will experience some sort of pain, some experience, some trauma, and we don't know how to propel ourselves forward. We would just get stuck and stay in that moment, right? Yeah. And ruminate yeah. that thought and keep just, it's almost like quicksand. Once we get there, we just don't know how to get out of it, right? right. Yeah. You have studied and researched all things personal development related. You stated in your book, and this is something I wanted to uh, talk about, the most personal, uh, that most personal development is presented in a way that makes it seems as though everything has to be okay for you to become great. You don't subscribe to that, that line of thinking. In chapter two of your book, you said, don't worry about a weight limit when it comes to your personal baggage. Talk about your favorite bag. You talk about your favorite bag that was your carry-on bag, a failure. Yeah, yeah. So how do people learn to not constantly think about their failures? Because it's rooted in doubt, lack of self-esteem, lack yeah. of confidence. What was it for you that had you be able to not just stay stuck there, but pick up those bags of failure and just continue on well i think i think for for anybody who you know who has a family who has kids who you know who has who has other people depending on them uh, i think that's probably the easiest way to do it right so especially if you have children um you 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 have to ask yourself if not only are you going to let that pain stop you but are you also going to let it limit what you do for your children or what you leave for the generation after you and so a lot mm -hmm. of people just just think about how it impacts them today. But what they don't realize is, you know, the doubt you have from applying for that new job, the doubt you have from making that move to a new city. Yes, you're holding yourself back, but you're also limiting what you can do and create for your loved ones or for your for your children or for the next generation. Mm. That's so true. That's so true. I don't think that we learn that, though. No, no, absolutely not. I mean, I. Listen, if you, and we've talked about this, our, hold on, you guys. Let's see if I can get him in. Oh, there you go. No idea what just happened. <laughs> the beauty it's okay. of doing anything it's all right. Live, right? Um, yeah. Uh, no, what I was saying was there, there, are, there are aspects of, of our culture and our community um, that we're just, we're still stuck in this. It's what's best for me, what's in it for me. And, and so much so that, again, we limit ourselves because we're only thinking about how it impacts us. We're only thinking about how it makes us feel. We're only thinking about the pain that it's causing us. And we really don't realize um, that you have to push back that, push against that in order to leave something for those who are next, for those who are behind you. But it's, it's, it's definitely something that, that we struggle with. Yeah, it's definitely something that we struggle with. Why do you think that 
or how did you develop that concept of, you know what? I, Cause I, I think I did the same thing. My why was my daughter. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's yeah. easy to stay in your, your stuff and your junk when it's just you. But yeah. when you have a why and you can put an answer to what your why is, I think it's easier for you to be inspired to move forward when you right. have little eyes looking up at you. Was that the yeah. same case for you? It absolutely was. I have, you know, my, my last name was McGee and, and I was, for a while, I was the last Mel McGee in my family. My grandfather, I, you know, I, my mom didn't marry my dad. And so I took my grandfather's last name. Um, and so that was it. And then I had two sons. And so those were now the last McGee's. And so I had to, you know, in my mind, I had to make sure that I left something for them and a reason for them to want to carry on this name. Uh, my oldest son already has a son, which came a little bit sooner than expected, but mm -hmm. um, that's now another generation of that last name. And yeah. so you're absolutely right. When I look at it, I look at my boys and, and what will we do with this name? How will we carry this name on? And so, you know, there's there are there's plenty of things out there to tell us what we can't do i'm just mm -hmm. determined to figure out what we can mm. Mm. um the thing about names i think we get so attached to the story with our name and a lot of times we don't realize and this is just from african tradition carried on mm -hmm. We don't realize that our name is it's our it's our blueprint of what has transpired through our history, our ancestral history, right? And sometimes we want to carry on some of those things and sometimes we don't want to carry on those things. What was it for you about your grandfather that you wanted to carry on and you wanted to pass on to your sons? So, you know, it's funny I didn't know enough about him to know what I wanted to carry on. What I knew was even in our little bit of interaction, I would never want someone to come back and say, I'm the one that tarnished the name. Mm. That's all I cared about. And, yeah. and so, you know, to your point, I do think there are stories with our names, but again, I think we spend so much time focusing on the negative aspects of that story, you know, and, and people say it, people say it and, Oh, you're just like your dad. Oh, you know, that's how they do it. Oh, you know, that's the Joneses again. And we just do these things where, where we excuse poor behavior based on your name or that lineage. Um, but we don't talk enough about the fact that you can completely change that story. Like you said, you got a blueprint. It's, it's the plan. It's, it's the recommendation. It's not, a, it's not set in stone. Right. You can adjust the blueprint you set the whole thing on fire and do something else, right? Like that's up to yeah. you. <laughs> but, but, but you're not, you know, you're not beholden to this story um, that is your past. And just like we as, as a community are not beholden to the story that is our story in this country. That doesn't have to be the way we live our lives and the way we move forward. Right. I mean, that was that was evident today. Like exactly. nobody would think that we would live in a time where one, we would see a black president and two, we would see a black female Supreme Court just justice. Exactly. Right. So like that's beyond not only our dream, our wildest dreams, but I'm sure it's totally beyond our ancestors wildest dreams. Well, and I think I think what we what we need to stop doing is 
So I think we need to celebrate every single one of these things that happens when they happen, obviously. But instead of us acting like all of these things are an exception, even if that's the first time, even if it's new, let's stop acting like it's the exception to the rule and start embracing the idea that maybe we're changing the rules. Mm. Because we always see these things and we always say, oh, that's an exception to the rule. And, and you know, when you talk to people about why don't you do this? And, and I know someone who does that. Oh, well, that's just an exception. Or that's, I couldn't do that. They, they had this. Maybe it's not. Maybe, maybe we need more people who are willing to change the rules so that these things aren't exceptions. They're just the way of life. Mm. Speaking of that, that's good. Speaking of that, you talk about in your book, out of rejection, you know, pain and pain, people build up these walls around them because they don't want to be hurt again. They don't know how to trust again. Yeah. Um, we like that temporary fix of feeling good, but we haven't mastered the process of knowing that pain will come and we cannot exclude ourselves from the pain, but we don't have to stay there, right? right. We don't right. have to build up the walls and try to escape it. We just have to deal with whatever comes our way. So what do you say to a person who needs to understand how to navigate that journey of not staying stuck and reclaiming control over their life, even though they've experienced trauma, pain, whatever that experience is? And because we like to hold on to this, I'm going to build up this wall because I don't want to experience that again. It's not to say yeah. that you're not going to experience it because we know that that's life. There's ebbs and flows to life. How do we navigate that journey in dealing with the ebbs and flows of life and not trying to build that wall up? Yeah. I, I, you know, it's funny. I used to, I used to give this analogy to, to friends of mine a long time ago when it, when it came to building walls and, you know, what I would always say is if you're behind a wall, a, a decent person with well intentions is going to show up and see that wall and say, oh, well, I'm, I'm not supposed to be on the other side of that. Like they built the wall for the reason. Right. Yeah. Um, someone who is not well intentioned and may or may not have the best your best interest at heart says, oh, I'll get through this wall. I'll figure it out. <laughs> I will find the weakness. I will find the hole. I will climb over it. Yeah. And so the, the irony is people wonder why they think they've built a wall around that pain, but they only get more pain in. And that's because the goodness that could have been there has seen a wall and decided, oh, you must not want me there. So it's not my place to try and knock that down. It's my place to step away. You said there's a wall. You said you don't want anyone in. People who don't care don't care. Like they, mm. they don't care. They will, and they will continue to add more and more pain. And now you've alienated yourself from those people who can help you, from those people who do care about you, from those people who do mean you well, because, you know, it's not, I, I saw a video today and it was a gentleman talking about, or it was a person talking about how, you know, your job is to love me as I'm figuring me out, you know? Mm -hmm. And the response to that was, no, it's it's your job to figure you out and then for me to be able to love the finished product, right? Like, why do you have to drag a bunch of people into that pain and hurt and mess? Just figure it out. It doesn't mean it's going to be perfect. Yeah. Figure it out and then begin to bring people on the journey with you as you get further along the process of knowing who you are and what you desire and let those people help guide you in that direction. Do you think that people are supposed to wait for the finished product? 
I don't think they're supposed to wait for the finished product, but I think if you bring people in too early to the mess, they start to decide how it's organized, not you. Mm. Mm-hmm. And so now, and so then you wake up one day and you're like, well, wait, this isn't exactly what I wanted, or this isn't exactly giving me the feeling that I thought it would give me, but that's because you let too many people tell you. So imagine, imagine, you know, uh, imagine you, your house floods, right? And, and you have to call a contractor, come in and fix it. Most of us would go in our house and say, all right, I know where the kitchen was. I know where the walls was. If I can get new paint, then I'll get new paint. But I know what I want my house to look like. Yeah. Imagine taking that same house and inviting 20 people over and saying, what do y'all think I should do? I guarantee, number one, you will probably never get anything done. Right. Number two, there's going to come a point where you're going to wake up and you're going to look around and be like, I didn't really want this. Yeah. I just let so-and-so convince me or so-and-so was louder than everyone else. Yeah. And so, you know, our personal mess sometimes can be that same flooded building where you need to clear some stuff out. You need to at least get the walls set up. You need to decide what the structure is going to be then let people come in and help you decorate, help you enhance, help you make it better. But if you start letting everybody else decide what your structure looks like, you're going to wonder why it's not one that you're happy with. Yeah, that's good. That's a great analogy. Um, we get ready to go deep. because okay, I'm ready. Chapter four had my mouth <laughs> on the freaking floor. Let me just say that for All several right. reasons, because... You had, you had what I call quotables. You always have quotables. But just how you unpack your relationship with your mother and how you set your boundaries up with her um, is opposite of the dynamic of the Black mama in our communities. The belief in our community is we don't talk about our mamas. We don't touch our mamas. Our mamas are, you know, the apple of our eye. and We put them on a pedestal and... This is blasphemy in, in a Black household, right? That we talk about our mamas, right? Absolutely. Yep. Because our mamas give us birth. But anytime we have a mother wound or, you know, a narcissistic mom or a mother that has caused us pain, that goes unspoken. That is the unwritten rule. You don't talk about your mama. The title of this chapter is called Mother Negative Cousin Barrier and Uncle Setback. Family is science not obligation. Correct. Please explain this from your experience, if you can. So, absolutely. So I'll tell you what I mean by that subtitle, and then we can dig as far into my story as you want to. But Let's go. Um, um, the, to me, the, the, the subtitle, Family of Science, Not Obligation, is really just speaking to a lot of people's positions when they they will dim their own light. They will change their own plans. They will suffer in silence because the person or people causing the pain or the discomfort are related to them. Mm. And so somehow they've been convinced that because there is a scientific tie, because that's all it is, it's DNA, right? So because there is a scientific tie that all of a sudden you have to accept certain things. And the reality is, you don't. You can choose to. I'm not telling anyone what to do in their families. What I'm saying is because of the science, it does not mean because your mother was this or because your dad is that or because your brothers and sisters don't get it, 
that does not mean you should live the rest of your life dimming your light and setting your standards lower so that your family is satisfied with the growth that you have or have not achieved. Because we all know somebody. We all know somebody who isn't something else, isn't something more, because someone in their family has told them what a ridiculous idea that was or told them why they shouldn't do it or told them that people who look like you don't do that or whatever the reason was that has then caused them to not go on that journey and not seek to accomplish that thing. Family can be some of the most toxic people in your life if you're not careful. Absolutely. And this goes back to the quotable from your very first show that you did with me that I literally... It, it 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 pierced my entire being when you said it because I know this to be true. I've experienced this myself. I know that we all have experienced this. And you were talking about we don't know the difference between uh relationship versus allegiance. Absolutely. So this 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 is just another version of that. So yeah. from your experience, um and I don't want to give too much away about your story, but yes. please share um, why you wrote this particular chapter about, you know, science, you know, family is size is not an obligation. Yeah, I think, you know, with, with, my, with my situation and with my family, there is a, and this was all confirmed for me two weeks ago when I went to see my grandmother who gave me the 50, 60 year history that I didn't even know about. There is a, there is a, a legacy of toxicity in my family. There is a legacy of, of molestation. There's a legacy of abuse. There's, there's a continuation of all of these things in my family. And I am sure in a lot of people's families. And, and what continued to happen was, we don't talk about it. Everyone plays crazy. Let's act like that didn't happen. Or, you know, my, my least favorite statement in the world, oh, you know, that's just your fill in the blank for the relative. And what we don't understand is that all we're doing is generationally perpetuating the same behavior, the same pain, the same lack of, of, of desire or ability to voice concern and speak up for things. And so for me, I wasn't doing it. I, I just wasn't doing it. I, I, had, I, had, I had been molested. It was by someone in my family, but I was not going to not speak up about it. And I was not going to set boundaries that kept me safe, even if it meant, it kept me safe and sane, even if it meant I would lose relationships that others said I was required to maintain or required to keep. Mm. Based on what? You know, you know, sometimes we don't, we don't listen to ourselves when we use contradictory sayings, right? We say things like, oh, well, you know, that's your family and you've got to stick to your family and you, you got to, that's your Blood is thicker than water. That. Now, okay, so we'll talk about that in a second because people <laughs> misuse that quote a thousand times. Yeah. But, but, but we say that, you know, you have to stick to your family, but then we also say things like you're, you're born alone and you die alone. So if that's the case, how, how many people am I required to bring along and to what extent? Because all of those people, especially the previous generations, 
will die. Your uncle, your great aunts, your grandparents, they're going to die and they're going to leave you with whatever restrictions they placed on your life. And now you've got 40 more years to live not living up to your full potential because somebody told you, well, you can't, do, you can't go against what your grandma said. I mean, that's your choice, but I, it's, not, it's, not a, it's not a thought process that I subscribe to. Right. And, and part of that, so the, the, the blood is thicker than water statement, and I, I, I'm going to misquote it, so I don't want to, what I'm about to say is not 100% fact because I forgot the name, but people should look it up. The totality of that statement is actually the opposite of what people think it means. Okay. Right? The blood is not referring to the blood lineage of your family. The blood is, refer is, is, is referring to the relationships you form in blood in environments like war and combat, right? And I'm, I'm a Marine veteran, you know that. So, so trust me when I tell you, those relationships are very different. The water actually speaks to the water of the mother's womb. So blood is thicker than water actually means the family you make is more significant than the family you were given. And Teach people use us. it the exact backwards way or the exact opposite way it was intended to be used. Wow. Teach us on me, tonight. Please look it up. Wow. I never knew that. Yep. And we misuse it all the time. All the time. But you know what's so crazy? When people say that, and they're saying it like out of frustration because, you know, we say it like blood is thicker than water, but we've had all of these relationships inside of our family that have let us down. And we have these relationships with our friends that are stronger bonds, you know, people that have always supported us, people that have always stuck beside us and locked arms with us. And yeah. we say it facetiously like, yeah, blood is thicker than water, right? You know what I mean? You know what's funny is we're not usually the ones that say it, right? So like, you're, you're my cousin and I'm telling you, I'm going to go hang out with my best friend because they take care of me and they, you're the one who's going to be like, blood is thicker than water. Right. It's, it's always the one who is being put in their place who likes to make that reference, right? The person who's navigating their lives effectively, we, I, don't need, I don't need to justify who I decide I have my relationships to. Let's right. start there. I don't need to justify which relationships I maintain, nor do I need to justify those that I cut off, whether I'm related to them or not. Mm. Mm. And that's also a part of reclaiming your life. Absolutely. Because, Absolutely. because as you get older, that tie of family becomes questioned when you start, when you're, when you're introduced to other thought processes, beliefs, people that think differently than you. I just did a podcast on Sunday and we discussed that. Like mm -hmm. the, the, the relationship that you form with your family is always challenged as you get older and you move about the world because you start meeting people that think differently. You start having experiences that are different than what you were raised in. And yep. so you start having this cognitive dissonance, you know, like, well, I wasn't raised to think that, or I wasn't raised right. to believe that, or I wasn't right. raised to experience this. And this is completely different. I like it. I don't really know what to do with this information right now. So I'm going to have to step away because I'm not used to it.
right? And that's, yeah, and you're selling yourself short. I mean, the, the whole point of growth is to encounter new ideologies and new trains of thought and, and, and just new, new ways of, of looking at things. And it, you know, I think this is always a subject that, that gets people riled up. This one, and obviously the forgiveness subject, um, gets people riled up because, you know, one of, one of the things I've always heard is like, oh, I can't believe you would say that you don't have a relationship with your mother. And I'm like, what, what I've never said is I speak ill of my mother because I don't. Not never at all. call my mother out of her name. I've never, I've never, you know, I, anything I've spoken about is a fact, pure and simple. I have not talked about my interpretation of said behaviors. I have not talked about her emotions behind the behaviors. You know, people read a lot of things into this that aren't there. The fact of the matter is, if there is someone in your life who is either doing something harmful to you or catering and or enabling someone else who does things harmful to you, it would be in your best interest to separate yourselves. Now, if you want to then draw categories based on the relationship, that is your choice. But I would recommend to you that that become a fixed boundary. Mm. There are some boundaries that are fixed and there are some that are flexible. And keeping people who are causing you harm out of your life should be a fixed boundary. Can we talk about that for a second? Because in our community, a lot of these things have gone unspoken. Absolutely. Um, molestation, uh, mental, verbal, physical, sexual abuse. Um, they go unspoken in families for years and years and years and years. And then you have this the next generation that's walking around angry, sad, not talking, and then they get labeled as the the uh what's what's the what's what is the child in the family the black sheep right oh yeah yeah but the black sheep is typically the person who is the true seeker they're the ones that wanted to speak up and talk about the truth but they've been silenced because the culture of our generations before us was what goes on in our house stays in our house we don't talk about those things yeah but yeah. we I, all I, know I, that it's gone on we all know that problem. uncle Uncle so-and-so is a freaking pedophile. We all know that aunt so-and-so is a drug addict and steals from grandma all the time, but she keeps giving her money and she yeah. keeps enabling her. And then she yeah. wants us to walk around like, like it's not happening. And then, and then not only that, what, what we do that's even worse is when you want to say something, people go, don't, you know, don't, don't talk about that at Thanksgiving. Let's just go through. Let's not say anything. Don't bring it up. And it's just like, so not only, not only do we have to be aware of the behavior, in, in some ways, we, all, we almost have to be complicit with it. Because by not stopping something that you know to be wrong, you are complicit. You and are complicit. How many of us have been complicit in those scenarios? Yep. Yep. Too many. Too many. Too yeah. many too many and so then the person that's been offended the person that has been, has fallen victim to that situation grows up feeling like they don't even have a voice 
Absolutely. And they've got to find their voice as an adult. And we, 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 we're so quick to judge people when they don't have a voice or they're walking around angry, sad, mad, you know, don't have a relationship. They have that wall built up. They don't really know what to do with their emotions. But the people that they came into this world from broke their trust. Yeah. And they don't know who to trust at this point. If your yeah. mom and your dad are not the people that you can trust and then you become an adult, who are you supposed to go out and trust? Absolutely. No, it's you're you're absolutely right. And it, it that becomes a whole that becomes an entirely different journey of building that trust while maintaining a certain level of protection. Um but it's, you know, but I, I go back to my earlier statement about it, it can't be a wall, right? It it can be a fence, it can be a gate. I'm not, I'm not saying don't 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 keep some separation until you know who you're dealing with. Um, I just don't I just don't subscribe to the idea of of closing yourself off completely. I think that's when you begin to do yourself a disservice. I trust me when I tell you I've 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 dealt with you know the pain of my childhood for decades, and I've still met amazing people during those decades. And I've met people who've dealt with some of my issues during those decades. And, and, and as, they, as, they, as they learn more about me and where I come from, then they start to learn, oh, okay, now I see why he does this. And now I see why he thinks yeah. that. Um, and, but it also doesn't mean that I'm not constantly growing and, and trying to change some of those things. And so, so, so um, one of our hillbacks who tries that iron fence. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Just make sure you can see through it. I just want you right. to see who's on the other side. That's all right. I'm saying. Right. <laughs> you have this. You have this chapter about independence. Um, you're not independent, nor should you want to be. And you talk about uh, there's some things in here that you talk about where you talk about conceptual independence and then you talk about interdependence. Can mm -hmm. you explain independence versus interdependence? And what is the what is the benefit of being interdependent versus being independent? So our I will I will speak to to our community and, and the, the portions of our community that I grew up in and that I've dealt with. We have the word independence or independent has become this 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 badge of honor that that we use, especially black women. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with it. But but but, but let let's let's tie that into what has happened with people that have had trauma that have come from those families. Oh no. Yeah, where they've you know they 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 have they've been molested, they've had some abuse that has gone on. These are the people that raised them. Nobody yeah. has given them a voice. And yes. then they walk around like I'm independent. I don't. I can't depend on anybody. I don't trust anybody. I've got this not iron wall. Yeah, yeah. they got a but, whole and, and wall up there. You're right, and that's you know, shielding yourself off from other people is not the same as being independent. Being alone is not being independent. It's not the same thing, right? And so I can close myself off from everyone, so that to ensure that no one gets in. But that's not independence. That that ends up being loneliness, right? Mm. And so it there is a level of independence that has to do with your ability to sustain your living on your own. However, 
where I believe we go too far with this is we, we somehow completely disregard the, nece the necessary interdependence that will move you to different levels, right? So, okay. so we've all, I, I won't say we've all, most people that I know have had someone, most people that I know who are successful have had someone give them some level of guidance along the way. Yeah. Someone give them some, maybe it was an opportunity. Maybe it was just a piece of information. Maybe it was a, a access to something, right? Like that's all interdependence. Now, if you took advantage of that and maximized it, good for you. That's what you're supposed to do. Mm -hmm. But, but I would challenge people when they get to the top of these heels, stop putting this flag in the ground that says I'm independent. Look what I do. Don't forget that someone gave you something, time, information, knowledge, opportunity, and then give that to someone else. Because by you screaming that you're independent, you're now teaching others that they need to scream that they're independent. And then we wonder why no one is reaching out to each other for a hand to try and help us all get to where we want to go. Right. So, so one of the, I was talking to a friend of mine and we were talking about um, a community where you, know, you, you, have, you have a group of houses on the street in, a, in an underserved community. Nine times out of 10, 90% of those houses are not owned by the people who live in them, right? Mm -hmm. but, but if you went to our level of distrust in our community is so high. If you went to that street and said, hey, listen, everybody, I want you to pool all your money together. And we're going to, over the next 20 years or 10 years, we're going to pay off every house on this block. That's, but we got to do it together. You would hear things like, why are you doing her house first and not my house? You would hear things like, well, how do I know, who are you? How do I know where the money? There's a level of, of, of being able to ask logical questions. And then there's just a level of distrust where if we don't understand that, if we don't do this interdependently, this heel and this battle is going to be so long and so hard that all the independence in the world isn't going to help you because you can be independent. You can reach the top of the hill. And when they knock you off, there's nobody else coming because you didn't put your hand out for anybody else. And we didn't teach those other people to put their hand out for the assistance to get to where you are. So this culture of, I did it myself. I did it on my own. I did it my way. This I, I'm by myself. I, that is not what we need to be teaching our youth. Absolutely not. And, and I understand that there are people who have done it out of necessity, right? Like my mother was a single mother. And so she had to do what she had to do. But, but I wouldn't, nor would she consider the life she had to live one of independence. That was not, that was struggle. Like, right. Not, it's, not, it's not the same thing. And so, yes, did she do it on her own? Conceptually, yes. But the reality is I had uncles who helped and I had friends who helped and I had the lady down the street who gave me a ride to school when my mom couldn't like, it was never just her. She was responsible and she and, knew that it, it succeeded or failed by her, but it didn't just stop at her. And you know what else? I, I, I'm, I'm living that journey now. And that is not something I want to wave a white flag and, 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 and just say, Hey, you know, <laughs> this Absolutely is the, not. I did not join this club to, to, to subscribe to this. This is the best life that I'm living. Right. Yeah. You yeah. know, 
yes, it made me very resilient, but it's not like something that I just signed up for, like, hey, sign up for this struggle over here. Sign up for right, this pain right. and anguish over here. Sign up for nobody else to call to help me. Like, why, No, why no. Nobody's walking life? around waving this flag like this is the best thing to slice bread, because it's not. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And they're, they're just, and so when I say in the book, you know, you're not independent, nor should you want to be, it's really just challenging people who who want to wave that independent flag and ask them, you know, did you do you really think that from the day you woke up to the day you go to sleep seven days a week, 365 days a year, no one, no one is providing you any assistance at all. If you're catching a bus, did the bus driver just wait for one extra minute because he knows that you're always there and you must be running late today? That's interdependence. It's the little things. I think we look at it like I pay my rent and nobody helps me. That's called being an adult. I apologize, but that is what it is. I'm not saying it's easy for everybody, but that's right. what it is. Right. But that does not mean that there is not a level of interdependence at work that helps most of us get where we are and that we should try and create more of to ensure that more of us get where we are. Absolutely. You talk about this throughout the book, and that was the lie that we tell ourselves and the lies that have been told to us that we ruminate and continue to tell ourselves. That's one of those lies. What are yeah. some of the what are some of the common lies that we tell ourselves that we think we think that it's it's, uh, you know, positive reinforcement or something that we need to you know, achieve or our affirmations that we don't even realize it's a lie that we keep telling ourselves. Right, right. Yeah, no, I think, I think, um, you know, obviously the blood is thicker than water. We talked about that. Um, this, this independent idea, um, this idea that you, you know, you have, you have to forgive everybody before you can do anything. You have to forgive everybody. And I know that that is a huge thing in the church. And I know that people get bent out of shape when you say that. That was my right. next question. I'm glad you're yep. going there. Yep. But, but, you know, and I think a lot of times it's because people assume when I say that, that I mean, never, never forgive, never try to forgive, never work towards forgiveness. And that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is the space that, that, that you can lock yourself in trying to work through the emotions that will allow you to reach a point of forgiveness is also a space in which you can't move. Sometimes creating movement will give you the clarity you need to maybe go down the forgiveness journey. I just saw my grandmother two weeks ago and it was my first time seeing her in 15 years. Wow. Based on some of the stuff we talked about that's in this book. You said in this book, gaining some closure on forgiveness in chapter seven, closure is a lie and forgiveness is unnecessary. What did you mean by closure is a lie and forgiveness is unnecessary? Because that is, like you said, that's one of the lies that we that we ruminate over. And that is that we have to forgive everybody. And yeah. I know that we were tapping into some religious beliefs, you know, because yeah. In, yeah. in certain practices and certain beliefs, you know, in spiritual practices, it's like you have to forgive in order to gain your heavenly wings. You have to forgive. Right. <laughs> right, right so. Right. What is your thought process on that? And, and why do you say forgiveness is unnecessary? Because I think it's unnecessary to move, to progress, to, to, to keep 
accomplishing things because again, it's presented in a way that says you, this has to be done in order for you to get to the next step. And that's not true. It's just not. Do you, um, before you go there, do you believe that the concept in our community about forgiveness, do you believe that sort of rooted in the gaslighting of the offense? Like, Oh, absolutely. Like, absolutely. You're, you got to forgive your uncle. Even though your uncle is a molester, you, you need to forgive your uncle. Absolutely. Yeah. Imagine, again, sometimes the our community will stand in a pulpit, tell everybody, text it to each other, put it on a poster that you have to forgive everyone. We will then also turn around and be like, I saw him kill him, but I'm not allowed to tell anybody because we have a no snitching policy. What kind of self-defeating and self-destructing mindset is that for a group of people who say, I have to, because here's what, here's what those two things say. I have to forgive everyone, but we're not allowed to hold anybody accountable. Well, where do we think we're going to be? Where do we think that's going to take us as a community long-term? If I have to forgive everybody, but I can't tell on anybody, no one has to go to jail for their actions. No one has to be held accountable, but I got to forgive everybody. I mean, that's, that's the wild, wild west. That's free reign. Let's do what you want to do. Treat people how you want to treat them. Take the way you want to take. Do what you want to do. Worry about only you because no one's allowed to tell on you and everyone's required to forgive you. We got some unlearning to do in our community. Yes, we do. We have some, like, just hearing you say that back to me, it brings up so many thought, thoughts uh, of, of either stories that I know or stories that I've, things that I've experienced personally or that I've known from other people, my friends, family members that have, ex have experienced. And it's like, now I understand why people are walking around mad because we're not holding anybody accountable for their actions. And then we tell those same people that, are, that have been offended that you've got to forgive the people that offended you. We, if you look online, if you look, you know, just social media, anytime, anytime a black person does something, when people come for that person, there's always somebody who's like, ah, oh, you a sellout. You don't support black people. What does my support of people who look like me have to do with my acceptance of behavior that is clearly inappropriate. Because are we, is that really what we're saying to each other? That the only way I support my community is to excuse all of your improper behavior. That doesn't say a lot for what I think we are capable of yeah. and what I think we are worthy of. Yeah. So no, I absolutely, I'm going to hold people accountable, especially when their behavior undermines the way in which I want our community to show up every day. But that's not what we do. And so we're, it's, it's, it's very self-defeating and it's very limiting in, in, in how we can move forward together because we have these contradictory rules and thoughts and we don't even realize the damage that they're doing. Mm. 
But to your question, sorry, I didn't ask your question about the, the, the closure. Closure is a myth in the sense that, you know, I, I would ask anyone who has lost someone through any type of a, a violent act, right? Someone who knows someone who's been murdered or, or taken senselessly, um, sexually assaulted, whatever the case may be, you know, what does closure look like? What, what closes that? Mm. I, I don't even have to answer it. I would ask them, what closes that for you? You, you, person X shoots my son. I lose my child forever. I might be able to get justice. I can definitely get therapy. I may even be able to get healing. But do I ever really get closure? Is that closed for me? I don't think so. No. Never. Ever. And so what I think, what I would argue is that people spend, and I, I'm pretty sure I mentioned this in the book, spend less time worrying about closure, spend less time worrying about forgiveness, spend more time worrying about acceptance and acknowledgement. Because we act like stuff didn't even happen. Like, and, I've, and I've heard people say, I've heard people say, oh, you know, I forgive Johnny, but I still can't believe he did it. No, see, this is the problem. You're doing it backwards. I don't care if you forgive him. I need you to accept that he did it and he's capable of doing it. So now you can move differently. You're so worried about forgiving him and you still can't wrap your head around the fact that this person is capable of this behavior towards you. You got it backwards. Mm. Acknowledge what is happening. Accept what someone is capable of doing and then decide how you want to move accordingly. Then once you position yourself appropriately, then you may be able to look back and be like, you know what? I forgive you because you're over there and I'm over here. So as long as you stay over there, we're good. This is, this is, this is taking me back to something that I said earlier. And that was in our community, we have this culture of wanting to be a, uh, getting anesthesia we want that temporary fix that feeling of i want to feel good absolutely right so absolutely. we're so quickly wanting to get to the feeling good of something that we don't really want to acknowledge what has happened what has taken place and we want to move from that yep. we don't acknowledge I'm, it we don't yep. accept it we just move right to I'm hurting. I want to get back to feeling good. I want to feel better. And the funny thing is what many of us do, and I've been, I've been guilty of this at, at times in my life, we're not actually doing the things that make us feel better. We're doing the things that other people tell us will make us feel better. Right? So, so this thing happened. Girl, get dressed. We're about to go get drunk. It's not going to make you feel better. I mean, it's going to make you feel better for a minute, but like someone else told you that's what you need. We need to go shopping. Get his credit card. Go do this. Oh man, forget them. We're gonna we're gonna go back and retaliate, or we're gonna go back and get revenge. Like we just we let all these people and all these things tell us what will make us feel better, and then we wonder why on the other side of that is the exact same void, sometimes with more damage surrounding it because of what you did in the interim, because everyone else told you something would make you feel better. Because we never dealt with it, we never acknowledged it. Absolutely, and sometimes. That is the only thing. Imagine, like, imagine tripping, walking down the street and tripping on a sidewalk, and I did sitting that on the two ground. Weeks ago. <laughs> I'm 
I wasn't trying to call you out. I, I got a boot but, right uh, now. <laughs> Sprained ligament in my foot. Did that two weeks well, ago. I'm sorry to hear that. <laughs> but imagine you sitting on that sidewalk and being like, I can't believe the sidewalk grabbed my toe like that and took me down to the ground. I think I need to forgive whoever designed this thing. And now it's uneven and, and has me in this situation. Or you can be like, you know what? I just fell and I have somewhere to go. I might need to get up and keep going. Why you fell, how you fell, what you tripped on becomes less important when you realize I still have to keep moving. I have to keep going. And or if there's a serious ailment that you need to deal with, in your case, a sprain, if something is broken, whatever, then let's address that. But what's, you know, we see those little, we see those things on TV, like what's going to make me feel better? I'm going to throw a rock at the thing that tripped me and now I feel better. No, you don't. No, no, let me tell you what actually happened. Cause I mean, mm -hmm. you just said exactly what happened. So it was on a Thursday. I was walking in my, I was coming back from my long walk. I normally walk six and a half miles every day and I wasn't paying attention. And I've, I failed because the manhole was not level to the pavement. Right. Yeah. And then. Yeah. The groundskeeper's like, hold, hold. I'm like, dude, you're like 10 seconds too late. You should have told me this right. prior to. So I right. fall, I get up, not thinking about how I'm feeling, right? I got to get home because I got things I got to do. One, yep. it's a Thursday night and I need to prepare for you my show. show. Yep. <laughs> right? So <laughs> I bandaged up my, 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 my scarred up knee that I fell on. Didn't mm -hmm. even feel because the adrenaline had kicked in didn't even feel this sprain that I had, did the show. I was like, let me just put some ice on my foot, wrap it up, you know, yep. put it up. And I did the entire show two weeks ago. Yeah. And then I get off. And the moment I put my foot down, it was like, okay. I was, it was like a baby deer trying to walk for the first time. Right. And what you did is what I recommend people do in life because what, what the people around them are telling them to do is, you know what? You need to go cuss out that dude who told you there was a hole because he was 10 seconds late. So don't go anywhere until you go tell him. <laughs> and then you need to ask to speak to a manager so you can figure out who left this pothole uncovered before you do. And all this stuff is getting you all spun up. None of it is repairing your ankle. None of it is getting you to your show. None of it is getting you back home. Hell, none of it's even picking you up off the ground. Right. Right. And so now, does that not mean that, you know, in the sense of people saying, well, you still have to address it? You do. And if you wanted to go home later and sue the city for tripping, be my guest. Like, I'm not saying you don't. Right. I'm saying let's not confuse this momentary need for, as you said, some level of, of satisfaction or, or gratification when we need to keep moving. We need to move through some things in order, because that's the other thing. Most of these things that, that, that we're trying to deal with, we don't actually even know what we need until we get through them. We don't really know what's going to make us feel better. We, we know what will give us a little bit of momentary relief. We know what will take our mind off of it, and we know what will numb us, but we don't even really know what will make us feel better until we've moved through, if not all of it, a significant part of it to get a different view. And once you get a different view, you usually get a little more clarity. 
So all we got to do is really keep moving. Move. We have to move. People think that, and again, don't confuse that with, oh, you just had a bad breakup. What you need to do is go get in another relationship. No, that's not what I said. What I said <laughs> is don't sit in your bedroom crying for the next month. Move, right? Keep moving. Keep moving forward. And don't do it with animosity or pain or desire for revenge or any of those things. Do it out of a responsibility to you. And then when the time is right, again, you will be able to turn and you will be able to look and you will go, okay, I, I see what happened. I see what situation I was in. I know what I need. And I might not, I thought I needed it from that person. I don't. I know what I need from me and I know what I will expect in the future. Mm. And that, that's how you keep moving. Yeah, yeah. That's so good. That's so good. Um, what is it? How did you, how did you, you, you said your future is paved by your past. Yeah. Bricks are here, heavy to carry, but make a great walkway. I yeah. thought that was a good, uh, a good analogy. Um, we learned that we, we, we need to carry our bricks. We learned, we learned that we need to move through a thing and not get stuck there. Um, why is the brick pavement to, from our past? Do we lay it down? What, at what point do we lay this brick down? Is it because it's a point of reference for us? What does that look like? All, all of that. It's a point of reference. It's, it's, a, it's a solid foundation. It's a, it's a point that you can propel from or jump from. So, you know, if you look at one of the things for me was, was reading and I wish I could show you my bookcase, but you know, we all know in history, there was a time in which we weren't allowed to read. Right. Uh, or at least be taught to read um, that brick, if you will, that historical brick was one that I laid down and decided that I will read any and every single thing I can get my hands on all the time. Right. And that brick was reemphasized when my mother used to say, oh, you're failing in your English class. Well, that's OK, because they always say if you don't want a black man to know something, put it in a book. Right. Which was the most offensive thing I'd ever heard in my life, which then made me read newspapers and magazines and instruction manual. Like it, but but that was to me, that was the brick. There are people who are still walking around being like, well, you know, our school system suck and they don't want us to know better and they don't want us to learn. All of that may be true, but that's a brick that you're deciding to carry around. I've decided to lay that brick down and stand on it on my tippy toes and grab every book off the shelf so I can read them. Mm. It's, it's, it's all what you use with the exact same information. We have all had to carry those bricks, if you will, at some point. But the question becomes, are you just going to carry them on? Or are you going to use them to lay the groundwork so that you can move and do something different and better? Man, listen, you always give me nuggets that I have to I have to sit for days in process <laughs> <laughs> because your brain just works that well. I mean, this has been such a crazy conversation, such an enlightening, enlightened conversation. Um, what in, in reclaiming your life 
and mm -hmm. rec reclaiming control over your life. Mm -hmm. I know that, you know, my thing is about joy. Your thing is about boundaries, right? When we have those boundaries, I think, you know, all the goodness is, is when we can have sustainable joy. And when we, because joy is not contingent upon an emotion. Like it, right. it works within the ebbs and flows of life. That's why I never said right. heal black happy. It was heal black joy, right? Because right. happiness is contingent upon. It's fleeting. It's yeah. fleeting. It's a fleeting yeah. emotion. So yeah. when you reclaimed your life and, and, and when you're talking to people about sustaining their life, and moving through their life because you got to go through those ebbs and flows of life, right? Mm -hmm. What does re what does that mean for you to to get to sustainable joy? It means I am aware of my potential role in every situation I find myself in, and I am aware of my ability to navigate my way out of it. Those two things will bring you so much joy <laughs> as you move through life. And, and, and that is where, you know, my whole teaching of boundaries comes from. It's not, I, I don't act like you won't ever get hurt again or things won't go bad or you won't yeah. lose a relationship. I just want to put people in a space where you can stop and say, you know what, that happened. That's your acceptance. I'm acknowledging and accepting that that happened. I want to figure out what my role is in it. And now I'm where I'm, I have enough self-awareness that I also know how to navigate out of it and minimize the chances. People act like, oh, well, that'll never happen again. That's not true. But I can minimize the chances of it repeating itself. And if I continue to minimize it, each and every time I encounter it, the chances become less and less that I repeat it. Right. And and that's, and, and, and the big, the continuity of the conversation is about moving, not getting stuck. If Absolutely. our If our people can learn that, that is going to be such a game changer in our lives because we know, I know you know, as well as I know, there's so many people out here that we can just have a conversation with and they are stuck. And you can almost pinpoint the moment that they got stuck, whether it was yeah. a death in their family, whether it was a marriage that fell apart, whether it was a baby that, you know, was stillborn whether it was a job that they lost, whether it was a yeah. friendship trauma that they experienced, whether it was some mental, emotional, physical, sexual abuse experience that they've had, they get stuck right there. They yeah. mature physically, but emotionally, spiritually, and mentally, they are stuck right there. Absolutely. What do you say to those people? Hmm, that's a good one. Um, because unfortunately, those people don't always listen. <laughs> they're determined. <laughs> they're determined to be in that space. Yeah. Um, what What I would say to those people is, you know, the first thing I would ask them is, is who's who's the culprit, right? Because it's always it's always something or someone, right? Like this is this is so and so's fault because he or she left me or he or she did this or whatever. That's fine. So then, my question to them becomes. Are they, and I'll just, you know, make up this situation. Is the, your father telling you that you're dumb? Will he have told you that any more or less if you apply for this college scholarship? Will, will your, your friends telling you that, or your spouse or your significant other telling you what you're not capable of, will that increase in any way by you applying for this new position? 
Because if it won't, everything you're saying is true, but it, it's not going to change. It's, it, it still exists. So apply for the five jobs and your husband is still a horrible person. Like, okay. But you can still be doing something. My question is, does that thing, are you okay with that thing, whatever it is, saying that what you have right now is all you will ever have? And if you are, then there's no point in us talking because you're, you don't have a desire to move at all. But if you can sit there and say, I hate him, I'm so mad at her, I can't believe this happened, but I refuse, I don't want to be here, that's all I need for us to start moving. Because yeah. then we just have to do little things that will pull you out of that place, whether you want to move on your own or not. And they'll be healthy things. Mm. They won't be going out to get drunk on Friday night and then going and giving all your money away to a designer so somebody can tell you that something's cute. But that's a whole other conversation. Man, thank you so much for this conversation about this book, you guys. Move Over, I'm Driving by Damian McGee. You can get this on Amazon. I'm going to post it after this podcast. And I will put it on my page. You guys go over and follow him, Damien, D-A-M-I-A-N dot M-C-G-E-E -E, um, here on Instagram. What are you working on, man, besides pushing this book? What, what are you, I, what, what's your thing now? I am uh, about to launch a podcast um, called Repaint Your Blackness. And we will talk about a lot of the things that we've been talking about here and changing, you know, the subtitle of Repainting Your Blackness is no longer the exception, changing the rules. Yeah, yeah. I, um, we talked about this. You called me and I was yes. like, man, go forth because what you're doing is amazing. Thank you, I appreciate that. And I will definitely let you and the community know when uh, when the podcast is launching so that you can tune in. Let me know what you think. Absolutely. Thank you again for this conversation Absolutely. on tonight. You guys, I'm going to be posting this after the show. Move Over, I'm Driving by Damian McGee. It's a wonderful read. It gives us so many nuggets in here just as he's discussed this book. Thank you for opening your, your, your artistry, your creativity, and your writing to us um and always is always your brain opening up your brain for us to to to, to tap into i appreciate, I appreciate you and i yep. appreciate uh hill black joy for tuning in tonight those of you that are tuning in tonight as well as those that are going to be tuning in later on you guys have a good night thank you thank you bye-bye bye always remember that this healing journey Sometimes it's going to feel like soul food and sometimes it's going to feel like war. I urge you to acknowledge and honor both positions and everything in between. Thanks for tuning into the Heal Black Joy podcast presents Soul Food and War.